You're listening to Scalay Sisters, episode number 63. Welcome to Scalay Sisters, the podcast for the classical homeschooling mama who seeks to learn and grow while she's helping her children learn and grow. Scalay Sisters is a casual conversation about topics that matter to those of us in the trenches of classical homeschooling who yearn for something more than just checking boxes and getting it all done. I'm your host, Brandi Venzel. You can find me at Afterthoughts. That's where you'll find my Charlotte Mason blog posts and study guides and workshops and such. You can hear more from me on my other podcast, Aftercast. My co-host today is Misty Winkler. Misty is a second-generation homeschooler with five kids and too many projects. With her blog, podcast, and membership, she helps you organize your attitude so you can organize your life. Find her over at simplyconvivial.com. Have you joined Sistership Premier yet? We hope so. The Sistership Premier Christmas gift is coming soon. We want you to have something extra special just for you, and that's why we asked Robbie Jane, co-author of The Liberal Arts Tradition, to come and give you some math inspiration. This live event is happening early in December, so sign up and join us. Just go to scalaysisters.com slash sistership and click on Premiere to join. In today's episode, Misty and I dig deeply into the four types of reading explained by A.G. Sertelange in his wonderful book, The Intellectual Life. Before I read this, I didn't even know there were four types of reading. It's a very interesting distinction to make. And so without further ado, let's get to it. Let's start off with our Scalay every day. Misty, what are you reading these days? I am reading Francis Schaeffer's How Then Shall We Live? Oh. And it was supposed to be free reading, but then it turns out it's more like post reading because <laughs> my son finished it and I'm <laughs> on the second chapter. But I want to read it. I just didn't. <laughs> But I'm I'm keeping going. <laughs> Good girl. Impressive. I haven't read that. I mean, I think I read that when I was 20, maybe. Mm-hmm. I haven't read that in a really long time. I remember that I liked it, but I, I think that might be the extent of what I remember about it. <laughs> it's a little bit different from what I was expecting. I'm not exactly sure what I was expecting, but how then shall we live? It sounds like, you know, it's going to be completely application or something. But this... It starts, I mean, a a bulk of it is just like an overview of history, almost. Um, Hmm. History of ideas and culture. Hmm. So I'm assuming at the end he's going to, you know, draw conclusions about our our current culture and how we should interact with our modern society and modern culture. So it's showing how we got to where we are, but very brief. Super high level overview, but still really fascinating. Hmm. Maybe I should reread it sometime now that I have a brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My son, I assigned it to him over our summer term since he'd be reading okay. along with friends for his primary history book. So I think it was a great fit for that because it's kind of since it's an overview. Cool. Yeah. How about you? Well, mine. It's actually a book I'm reading aloud right now. 
I'm really enjoying it. It is Beowulf, the Burton Raffle translation. Oh, I think that might be the one translation I haven't read. <laughs> oh, really? The only reason why I have this one, because I don't know anything about this. If I read this in high school, I don't remember it. This is my first real time through, I would through say. Beowulf at all? Yeah. Oh. Um, I mean, I know about it. Like I've read retellings and things, but this is my first time reading an actual translation of it. So I read it in high school. And so I was kind of assuming maybe I did. And I just don't remember for some reason. But now that I'm reading it, I feel like should something have jogged my memory by now? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love. Yeah. All I'm remembering are my retellings. I'm not really remembering like (laughs) anyway. So the only reason why I have this particular translation is because I got into some conversation on Facebook. This is like over a year ago about which translation to use and ended up private messaging with Angelina Stanford. And this is the one she recommends. Oh, interesting. So at the time, I think she told me why, but now I can't remember. So I just have it because she told me and I know she knows more than I do. (laughs) So it seems safe. (laughs) So we're really enjoying it. I'm reading it aloud and we're reading it mostly a little after lunch and a little after dinner each day. I don't read a ton. I mean, the chapters are super short. Like two pages is how it's broken up. Interesting. And so, you know, I'll usually read, I don't know. So it is two or three of them. It is broken up into chapters. It's yeah. Or I mean, I don't know unless they're supposed to be more like I don't know. Huh. It doesn't really I don't know. <laughs> like, there's just a number at the top. It says twenty one or twenty two or whatever. Okay. So I mean you could tell it's one long thing. Yeah. But it's nice to have the breaks just because I am reading aloud. And so I right. don't have to try to choose a natural break. They've pretty much chosen them for me. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Because I've assigned the Seamus Haney one and, and had okay. to pretty much just go through and figure out, now, where should we stop? But <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's what I expected to have happen because I was pretty sure it wasn't like Homer. I mean, Homer's usually divided into books. Mm-hmm. Which are usually too long for one sit down time of reading aloud anyway. But at least I usually could go in and just divide that into half or thirds, depending on how long it was. (laughs) But I expected this one to be complicated, but it's been fine. So we read Boys of Blur by Andy Mm -hmm. Wilson, which is Beowulf Mm. in Florida, basically. (laughs) (laughs) So that got my younger kids interested in who this Grendel person would be because the monsters are called the Gren or whatever after Grendel. And then my daughter is reading H.E. Marshall's history of English literature for girls and boys. Mm -hmm. Marshall, the one who wrote Island story. So she's reading that and she just covered Beowulf within the last couple of weeks. So she was kind of interested too. So I kind of felt like, Oh, you know what? I think it's, I think it's good timing because everybody's kind of like, Ooh, what's this Beowulf thing? (laughs) So we're doing it, and it's it's great. I uh, I I've always wanted to read books like that in a way that was done just for pleasure. Not that we would never do a study guide. Not that we would never you know get more quote unquote studious or academic about it. But I just always wanted it to be done for the joy of it for the first mm-hmm. time. Oh, Beowulf's great for that. Yeah, and it's fun that it worked out that way because I wasn't sure it was going to. I wasn't sure we weren't going to hit a point where I just ended up assigning it to someone because. It was never working out or whatever. So anyway, yeah, but you're right. It is great for that. In fact, I would venture to say with my kids ages, like especially my 10 and 11 year old, that they're, I think, more into this than they were the Odyssey. Yeah. 
I can see. That. I mean, the story moves faster since it's shorter. True. Yeah. A couple of years ago, I did a. I think I read three different translations all within a year's space. Just oh, wow. to kind of. I mean, I love Beowulf, and I love alliteration. So that's one reason why I love mm. Beowulf. But actually, this one was not on my radar. So here we go. It's a Scully Sisters episode. It's I see it's four dollars on Amazon. So <laughs> yeah, not expensive. Yeah, I even got a nice little turtleback. I think it's like a ex library copy cool. or something. But I love turtlebacks. That's my new favorite way of binding because I just don't like dust jackets. I know I don't either. So unless it's old enough to have, you know, like the stamped leather mm-hmm. or whatever, I've just gotten to where I prefer the turtleback kind of has a distinct look to it. Like I can, from across the room, know what book that is that's <laughs> like right there. <laughs> I don't have to keep track of this paper that surely is going to rip. <laughs> yeah. My, my husband got me the uh, Tolkien translation, which was recently republished. So that's what kicked off my last <sighs> Beowulf kick. So, okay. So what'd you think of that? Because I... I wondered about buying that. Oh, one. It, was, it was fun. And it was good. I I think that it actually wasn't my favorite of what oh, I interesting. read. Okay. But you know, he was the first one to translate it. So we we read Beowulf today because of Tolkien. I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. It was just considered oh, wow. like a relic of the history department to kind of get a idea of what society was like. And Tolkien was the one who brought it into his literature class and said, no, we need to be studying this not as a scientific, historical, let's learn what people were like. We need to be reading this as literature. This is England's version of Virgil or Homer, and we should be treating it that way. So I could see that. Cool. Well, I'm glad he did it because we're certainly enjoying it. Mm Mm-hmm. Well... Shall we transition to our topical discussion? I suppose so. Although I right. talk about Beowulf as much as you want to. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> Special episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to be talking about a section in The Intellectual Life by A.G. Sertelange. That's I've decided. <laughs> we're going to have to say it now, aren't I know we? <laughs> we are. I've decided that's how I say it. I don't know if I'm right, but I'm just going to say it with conviction as we've talked about before and... <laughs> good enough. So I, I call him Sir Talange now. It sounds French enough. <laughs> Probably. Sure. So I'm just going to read in our copy. It's on page 152 is where this section begins. It, so we're going to be talking about his four types of reading or four, I guess he calls them kinds. Anyway, I was just going to read the very first paragraph in this section to get us started, if that's okay. Yeah. Sounds great. So he says, to be a little more precise, I distinguish four kinds of reading. One reads for one's formation and to become somebody. One reads in view of a particular task. One reads to acquire a habit of work and the love of what is good. One reads for relaxation. There is fundamental reading, accidental reading, stimulating or edifying reading, recreation. Recreative reading. (laughs) I just watched that last word. It's not recreation. That was what I was going to say. Recreative reading, I guess. Anyway, that this really stood out to me. Not that I think he's saying that that is the only kinds of reading that there could possibly exist in the whole world, but that's what he's focused on for cultivating the intellectual life. So I thought it would be fun to discuss because he does flesh out a little more what he means. 
So discuss what he Mm -hmm. means, but then try to identify books in your own life that fall into that category or maybe where you don't have anything in the category. I don't know. That was kind of what I was thinking. Yeah, that sounds great. Maybe you can like work Beowulf into multiple categories. There you go. Beowulf and Lonesome Gods. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Because we can't talk about Lonesome Gods (laughs) enough. So... (laughs) going to be the Easter egg of the season. Oh, for real. <laughs> can, you, can you find the reference to Lonesome Gods? Okay. You get a point. <laughs> so <laughs> my husband just finished reading it and he, he commented, he said, so I did see that you dog-eared some pages because <laughs> I was reading it on the plane. I didn't have anything. So w- when there was a quote that I wanted, I dog-eared it, but I put him in my copy place and then, you know, tried to smooth the paper back out. <laughs> He said, it was really obvious what you were, <laughs> what just stood out at you there. <laughs> yeah. So he could handle reading it with the little creases on the corners. He was okay. Yeah, but not not without making a comment about it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, I love it. I definitely had my flags for intellectual life, though. It's hard to flip the pages because the flags are all sticking out. <laughs> I mean, I I underline and um, I mean, I have so much in here. Like this is one of those books that I almost don't commonplace because I can't decide the beginning too and much. End of what to write down. And then I've got marginalia and hearts and stars and yeses all over the place. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's become a monster. I really, you know, talk about (laughs) formative reading, which we haven't even defined yet, but I'm like, I really think this could be one of my ones that I want to reread every so often because I really appreciated it on a number of different levels. Yeah, me too. And I'm really surprised about that because I started reading this, oh, like five or six years ago. Oh, really? Maybe four or five, something like that. Dr. Perrin was on a kick mentioning it like multiple places. Uh, so it's like, okay, multiple references. I'm going to get it. And I started it. And I don't even think I made it through the first chapter. And I was like, meh, not, this is not speaking to me. <laughs> and so when I picked it up again, I was like, this is speaking to me on every page. <laughs> <laughs> it just but, had to be in a different place in life, I'm guessing. <laughs> yes. Some baby versus non-baby. <laughs> I think I think I got to what is it, page eleven, and it says, "Have you two hours a day? <laughs> Can you undertake to keep them jealously?" <laughs> and I just ran like, "Shut the book! Like, go away!" <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. No, I don't have two hours a day. <laughs> really, I, I have two minutes. <laughs> Yeah, which I I do think, I think it's a a great skill for homeschool moms to be able to read books like this and read past that kind of stuff to the spirit of what he's saying, because it is super rare to have two hours a day. I have big kids. I still don't have two hours a day. (laughs) I don't either. It's not that I now have two hours and so it's okay. It's it's right. I'm getting more sleep and I'm coming at this from a more rational perspective. (laughs) But when you read that, I think you also, you're able to not be discouraged by this random detail of two hours. 
for us, he could have said four. It would be equally unattainable. Like it doesn't matter how, mm-hmm. how much he said. But what what does matter is this idea behind it of having time set apart that is jealously guarded. That's a good principle, I think, to keep in mind. Because how many times are we trying to read in the middle of chaos? And a couple of things happen. Either, either we don't get anything out of the book or we are really super rude to the people who are being the chaotic ones um, in the yeah. room. And I'm just, one of the big things I got out of this is don't be afraid to set aside time, even if it's only 15 minutes, you know, but to set aside time and guard it jealously. And then when you're not in that time to like, let it go. Yeah. Cause he has that kind of a spirit later on too, of you're either doing this or you're not doing this. There's, you're not really, he doesn't, really expect you to be doing like this in-between thing where you're like kind of paying attention to something. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Well, let's talk about the first type of writing, which is he calls it formative or fundamental. Those are the two words he uses it. So he says one reads for one's formation and to become somebody. And when I first read that, I was a little bit like, what? Because I read that as like to make a name for yourself. Yeah. And um, I think that's probably just because it's translated from French and that's probably what it means. But our ears aren't hearing that in the spirit that it's given, I think, our American ears or whatever. So it's more about personal formation. You read to become a different kind of person than you already are. Yeah. Yeah. Because later he calls it uh, acquiring all around culture. Hmm. I like that. I didn't underline that part. That's maybe I should add it so that the whole page. Can <laughs> <laughs> and it's Not so, so then I have a little synchronicity going on here. He says fundamental reading. So that's this first kind mm-hmm. demands docility, which is really interesting because another book that I'm reading is Peeper's The Four Cardinal Virtues. Okay. And in the first section on prudence, and he was just saying that you need uh, docility for prudence, but it go, and that's just why I read this this morning. <laughs> so, and he says by that he doesn't mean turning off your discernment or something. Yeah, that's definitely not, but not super reticent or like thinking less of yourself, as in you know, like you're going to defer to whatever you're reading, whatever it's saying. Okay. So you're not joining a cult just because yeah. you're reading this book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you do need some open-mindedness and to just receive, like just to listen receptively. So this is Peeper, so mm-hmm. it makes sense. And then because you are looking for truth. So it's it's that not inserting yourself into this too soon. You, you're kind of pulling your perspective and what you want out of it or you know, just you and your own agendas out of it for a time to just see what's there to consider it. Yeah. I guess it's that that self forgetful thing that I talked about in my school I talk. So yes. it was just interesting that that same word showed up here. And I, I didn't notice that the first I only noticed that today because that was in my reading of that other book this morning. Yeah. One um see if I can find this quote real quick. It it was, um, oh, maybe this was just a note I made after I compared this type of reading to the next type we're going to talk about. But 
basically we're in this type of reading. He talked about choosing a master, basically. Yeah. So you wouldn't necessarily do this kind of reading maybe with every single book that you read. I mean, I was thinking about we do have to have a collection of primary teachers in our life, right? And I think that's what he's getting at. You know, we all have those books that changed our whole life that we can point to as, you know, that was the turning point in my life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the kind of reading he's talking about. It's forming your very soul when you read it. So he, where is it? Let me see. I wrote some notes in my notebook and I didn't underline those parts because I wrote them down, but now I'm having trouble matching (laughs) the book to what I wrote. Um, He says somewhere that because we're in this position of docility or receptiveness or obedience, he calls it in one place, we're supposed to carefully choose our guide. You wouldn't just read anybody because you'd want to be careful about that. Well, like if you're reading, if you're talking about the area of, let's say, theology, then you would want to make sure that you were choosing a master who was safe. So like you wouldn't choose a heretic, (laughs) (laughs) right? (laughs) You may eventually read a heretic, but you wouldn't read a heretic for this kind of reading. (laughs) Right. In that kind of manner. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he says, 153, the choice of an intellectual father is always a serious thing. Yes. So the part I was hoping we, like if we're going to talk books, because we have to talk books, the part (laughs) I was hoping we talk books about for this one was he said, you know, he talks about the intellectual intellectual father, which you just read. And he says, you can't confine yourself to this one person. So he says, all that is necessary is to know thoroughly three or four authors for one's specialty and about the same number for each problem that arises. Hmm. So we have like these pet areas that we study. The one I know you and I have in common would be educational philosophy. Mm -hmm. Even though we might not have the same masters, we have the same subject area. Right. Theology might be another. I don't know. Do you have a third area that you think you study? Probably, but I can never think of things off the top of my head. (laughs) (laughs) send me a recording later and i'll just splice it in (laughs) i was thinking for me because i spend a lot of time studying homeopathy so i definitely have like a library of my primary things that i read and i just i don't know this image of like you've got your three or four general masters or guides if you will and then you have your three or four for individual problems so let's talk Mm-hmm. educational philosophy. Who's your master? Do you have one? Hmm. Well, I think that's interesting. I mean, <laughs> I've probably read Charlotte Mason the most, and yet uh-huh. I don't call myself a Charlotte Mason person, right. educator. But um, that's just because you're stubborn. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um. So I would say, so for choosing our three or four, I think it would be Charlotte Mason and David Hicks. And then... Me too, by the way. I would... Yeah. Especially when I think back to life-changing reading. Yeah, exactly. And and something that I still reread too. I, I think of this thing yeah. as the kind of, what do you come back to again and again? Although as far as like people who've helped you come along, then... I don't know. I've read a lot of books, but I think that I would probably have to say as far as what's actually 
it would be probably Dr. Perrin, although he doesn't really have a book. <laughs> I think there's a booklet maybe, but I don't even know if I've read it. But I've listened to lectures. I think along the way, kind of just mm-hmm. following that, following more of the bibliographic trail kind of that he because like that's why I had this book on my shelf already because I bought it because he kept mentioning it so I feel like he's maybe not the intellectual father but more like the guide along the way pointing out where those giants are he's your grandfather (laughs) (laughs) the the museum tour guide (laughs) yeah (laughs) and it's good to have a docent (laughs) and you should have this book and you should have this book (laughs) <laughs> yes. So how about you besides Charlotte Mason? Yeah. He, you know, he talks about St. Thomas for, um, for theology. And I was like, yeah, Charlotte Mason is definitely my equivalent for education, but Hicks for sure. And I was thinking for me, the third one I would add, I think is um, James Taylor poetic knowledge. Mm-hmm. That was huge for me. I think because of a specific area of struggle that I came into education from an analytical mindset that to be smart, to be academic, to be, to excel, you know, you had to tear everything apart and categorize it and, you know, dissect it and all those kinds of things. And not that there's not a place for that, but I really didn't understand the idea that that is not for children or that, and it's funny because I'm, I think I'm pretty naturally a synthetic thinker, but I didn't value that. Like I thought that was something I needed to get rid of oh, in order to be, you know, whatever, in order to be an intellectual or to be academic or whatever. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm an intellectual. I can't even find my car keys half the time, but <laughs> any that might be part of a pre, that might be part of the identity. <laughs> <laughs> That's a prerequisite. <laughs> Well, I do have bad hair, so that's something. <laughs> um, so anyway, but not today because I have my hair done today. So today we're okay. Uh, anyway. video, it's not a podcast. <laughs> yeah, so I actually thought, sat, sat down and thought about that seriously today. Like, how can I work in using my good hair? <laughs> Probably not going to happen. Um, but anyway, James Taylor was the one that helped me see that holes precede parts, that parts aren't understood appropriately if they're not in the context of the whole, like all of that kind of stuff. It's funny because Charlotte Mason was saying it and she was saying it repeatedly, but I did not get it until I read Poetic Knowledge, which I've talked Mm -hmm. to a number of people who they didn't get it until they read those chapters in Karen Glass's book, Consider This, which goes over those same concepts. Mm -hmm. So it's the same kind of thing where you hear someone else say it a little differently and you're like, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah it helps you understand what someone else is saying. Because Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And I really I really think my children need to write that man a thank you note because I would have been <laughs> kind of a bear of a teacher without him. So I'll tell them. <laughs> he actually commented on my blog one time. Did I tell you this? I think I remember that. I still am recovering from the heart attack I had. He <laughs> <laughs> was so nice. Like, oh, you know, so honored that you talk about it. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> oh. I think um, I realize what my other topic is. Oh, yeah. What is it? It's a combination history and philosophy. Like, and how they work to, and so it's tied up kind of with education because it's really like cultural history, okay, ideas, and 
just how it's changed and shifted. But it's kind of beyond that because I know you've been reading, you read Jacques Barzun. Yeah, that kind of thing. You definitely went beyond education. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's more there. And it's not just like history as in a particular zoning in on a particular span or anything. It's more like I love things that give the timeline, you know, the whole big span. So that's why I'm enjoying that Schaefer book because like each chapter, Ah. the whole age is like, and seeing how, you know, the ancient flows into the medieval and develops into early mod, like just seeing how things change and shift and what impacts what and the philosophers that make change happen and why, you know, that I think that all of that, anything like that, yeah. I find really interesting. So, you know, I've read things like A Story of Philosophy by Will Durant. Okay. That kind of thing where it, You'd get an overview of the big names in philosophy in their historical context. And, you know, you realize this guy led to that guy, led to that guy. That's cool. I would like to do more reading like that, but I I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, a lot of my books on the that have been along those lines have been audiobooks. Oh, see, we go back to the fact that I've never. I don't know what I don't know what my resistance is to audiobooks. <laughs> I don't know. I, they're, they're great I, for I will say steps. That. I know, but I do like. See, I I have so many podcasts. Yeah, that I'm like I'm backed up. I don't have time to listen to all the podcasts. So why would I add more? I think I think it's because I feel like I don't I don't think I'd probably experience this way, but I feel like not having it, like I'm keeping things off of my mental to do list. Mm. But if I had it, it would be one more thing that I'm su- think I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Versus I'm comfortable well, see, with it. That's how podcasts feel to me. And okay, so that's why yeah. I favor the book over the podcast because then I look and I see how many episodes I'm behind, and I'm like, never mind, unsubscribe. <laughs> I just can't <laughs> handle being behind. <laughs> well, I'll tell you my trick with that. From some, I'm not actually, I'm not actually subscribed. Like if you subscribe and then unsubscribe, it kind of stays in your library. Mm. So it'll stay in there. And so I have some where it was like they were publishing podcasts faster than I could listen to them. And it was taking up too much space on my iPod. Yeah. (laughs) And so I unsubscribed. But what I do now is I just make a note of what I just listened to and I just download the next episode. And I really don't care that I'm a year behind. Mm -hmm. It just, I just always, you know, I always load the next thing so that I have it when I can listen to it. And so anyway, that's my little podcast secret that I do. <laughs> um, so it says to have, you know, so you have your two or th- so we have our two or three that we just talked about. And we have our great grandfather, Dr. Um, Perrin. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Sorry, I'm making him older and older. He's like 95 <laughs> now. <laughs> Pretty soon he's going to be our great, great grandfather and he'll be practically dead, if not actually dead. Um, okay. <laughs> so anyway, but it also said, I thought this was interesting, it, about the same number for each problem. And for me, I thought that's a great way to build a library. To think about what are the little problems that come up that we have. So I was thinking like specifically, I don't know, it's probably been almost 10 years. But when I was writing my phonics curriculum, I had a very formative book that I read because I read The Logic of English. Mm -hmm. And it was super helpful because at that time in homeschooling, there were a lot of people circling back around to you don't need phonics. 
you need whole language, like the same whole thing, which as a Californian, I know doesn't work because that's how a lot of my peers ended up illiterate (laughs) because (laughs) they were experimenting with whole language at the time. So kids who were taught to read in school, a lot of them didn't read. And then I made a tutoring business out of helping kids that were being taught (laughs) home language when I was younger. I mean, when I was older. So anyway, to have her going through and talking a lot about the importance of phonics, but actually showing the data from like functional MRIs and saying what we don't realize is that an adult reader actually is using phonics. Mm -hmm. And but they're just doing it so fast that it seems to us as if they are using whole language. But that's not yeah. actually what's going on. To me, that was a turning point. And so I felt like, you know, I could point to her book, like, what's one of the big problems in, in education? Well, teaching reading, right? Basic yeah. literacy <laughs> is a hurdle you have to get through. So there's a few books that you can choose from that are really good that I would number that. For me, that's my number one. But I have a few other books on the shelf as well. Oh, sure. Anyway. What about you? What I do you have like books on the shelf? Is not, not really like, <laughs> fifteen literacy books. <laughs> um, but I'm thinking, what are other problems that we are amassing subpoints in our library around? Well, this is funny because I'm in my bedroom recording and I'm staring over at the bookshelf that's in our room, which is kind of well, all the commentaries are up here, but also the books that I don't necessarily want on our public bookshelves. So I looks like I have a three so your heresy books. shelf is up there. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I have three books that have diet in the title. <laughs> awesome. I, like, I guess that counts. <laughs> but you know, this reminds me of, you know, when I was growing up pre-internet this was just how our my family functioned. If you were interested in something, you went to the library and you checked out five books. That's just what mm. you did. And that's the way we grew up is you want to know something, you're into something, then you go to the library and you check out five books. So, you know, there are cookbooks, history books. Yeah. Which has translated into the book buying problem that we seem to have at each episode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a that's a good point. I don't have, as you know, I've complained about this before. I don't really have a library very close to me. And then there's right. one that's like almost half an hour away and it has weird hours. And so I don't go. I just buy books. It's terrible because I don't even <laughs> like all the books I buy. I'm like, this is why they have libraries. Yeah. <laughs> so that you can. Uh. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have I have the productivity books. I have the personality books. You can tell a lot about a person from their bookshelf. <laughs> so sometimes I get rid of books or, you know, hide the books. Like that's why the diet books are up here in my bedroom. Like, I know why people draw conclusions based on my bookshelf. <laughs> I remember a friend's husband telling this story. I mean, this was probably like 10 years ago that he was telling this story, but he was talking about someone he knew when he was in graduate school. They would invite professors over for, he and his wife, they would invite professors over for dinner and behind their dining table or near it or something was like a big, you know, bookcase and they would switch out the books based on who was coming for dinner <laughs> who was coming for dinner 
<laughs> now, see, in my experience, maybe if you're having professors over, I guess, yeah. probably. But in my experience, not enough people sco- actually scope out your bookshelf. Right. <laughs> I always right. find it a little bit disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you're not interested in staring at my bookshelves? <laughs> oh, I always check out people's bookshelves. And so it, it does. But my house, I think, is not set up very well for that because we have when we moved into this house, one of the things that was striking about it was that there's a hallway. You open the front door and you're in a hallway that leads to the living room. You're not automatically in okay. the living room or anything. But this yeah. hallway is really super wide, almost too wide to really be a hallway. But I don't know what else to call it. So anyway, we kind of remedied that by adding like, not built in, but I mean, we bought a bunch of bookcases and we added bookcases all along one side. So now it's more. And then on the other side is like a bench where the kids read. So we call oh, it our library, cool. but it's more like it's a hallway, but it's we also call it our library. But what I find is it means people don't really look at the books because they're passing through that area to get to the rest of the house. And then right. they're they're not really there until they're leaving. <laughs> so <laughs> so anyway. it's kind of an awkward spot to. Yeah. Stop. I mean, it works for us in terms of school and kids using the space and that kind of thing. But I don't think it really lends itself to people now. I remedy that by leaving books all over the house. Yeah. <laughs> On purpose. <laughs> yes, exactly. yeah. I like to think of it as a messy form of decorating. Um, <laughs> and so what did I used to tell Sai? My style is library chic. Um, <laughs> well, you know, a room, a room without books is like a body without a soul. So yeah, there you go. Who said that? Someone said that, right? Someone said that. I don't Maybe know. Let's take a day. I don't know. Yeah, yeah probably. All right, we probably should move on to the next type. (laughs) Or this whole show is going to be on formative reading. (laughs) (laughs) So the next one, he transitions, actually, he says, is that like sometimes we read for information, not for formation. And I liked that. I liked that transition just because that helped me kind of mentally adjust to what he was about to tell us about this. So this is his, I don't know why he calls it accidental reading. I mean, I know he doesn't mean it's an accident, but I just, I thought that was a weird yeah, final way. But he says in that very first paragraph that I read, one reads in view of a particular task. And I think he means a particular intellectual task. So like if you were writing, I mean, for us, it'd be like a blog post or, uh, or a conference talk or something. Yeah. So you're reading to find fodder or backup for a specific topic that you already have an idea of what you want to say or what you already think. And you're looking to interact either for the purpose of getting what like supporting material or for the purpose of maybe like interacting with your opponents or whatever. Is that? Yeah. What am I missing? I just looked up (laughs) because I know, I know there's another definition to accidental that I can never quite articulate. So I just looked it up. Uh, okay. It can also mean subsidiary. Oh. And in Aristotelian philosophy, it means denoting properties which are not essential to a thing's nature. Oh, interesting. So I think it, it, these are books we're consulting, but not necessarily studying, because then he says... To consult books in the same way as you study them is loss of time. And to study as if you were merely consulting means remaining your own master and losing the benefits of formation. Hmm. 
I think when I get a new book, I could even ask myself those questions. In or I, I well, I'll tell you, I, I think I have a habit of formative reading, and then I have a hard time reading books that I can't read that way. Like I have a right. hard time transitioning to a different kind of reading. It would probably be very beneficial for me to figure out how to not read everything for formation. Like I'm always, yes, tell me how to change. <laughs> tell me. Well, I saw I this know. happen with the Aristotle books that I got for the purpose of my Scolay sister's talk, which I knew I wanted it to be about Scolay. So clearly that means buying five books, right? So <laughs> <laughs> I picked up Leisure, the Basis of Culture. It's a starting place. And I picked it up to consult it and then ended up working through to paraphrase it, right. you know, switching it back to the formative instead of consulting. But I did the little flip-flop with Aristotle too, because I bought it to consult it. And I started reading it in that kind of yeah. looking for what I was looking for out of it, instead of just open up to the entire... And then I realized, ooh, I would actually love to just read this, you know, instead of trying to get something out, something particular that I'm looking for out of it to just read it to see what's here and the whole flow and that kind of, you know, that was the more formative reading. And yeah. then I realized I did not have time for that. <laughs> and so I went back into consulting mode and used the index to find where he talks about Scalay and, and that sort of thing and went back into. So I didn't read the whole ah. thing. I read the sections that pertained to okay, what so that's I was how thinking I read about. The Summa Theologica, the first, I mean, like I didn't read Summa Theologica, I mean, that's the point, um, was that right. someone, um, another blogger that I knew, when I when I wanted to do this talk, I knew that her husband taught Thomas Aquinas, he's a college professor, and I contacted her and I asked for reading assignments. You know, I'm going to talk about this fresco, and I'm thinking about these things, you know, help me. And I will say, like, I do think I read those portions of the Summa in a very formative way, for sure. But I didn't read, like, the whole Summa. <laughs> I just read the assigned portions that he sent right. me. So, again, we have, like, right. this topical interest sort of thing going on. And reading for a specific purpose. Like, you knew that you were going to have to use this for something. So, you're reading with a certain kind of yeah. – a different kind of attention yeah. and a different kind of Which filter. I think – I. I, I don't do this very often with educational philosophy or with regular philosophy. Like I usually am super picky about the books that I buy. And I think it's because I always want to be reading them in a formative way. Like I don't really want to have to like argue with the book. Yeah. I don't really want to, you know, I mean, I may eventually consult it in an informative way when I'm trying to get quotes for something, but that's not how I read it the first time that I read it. Mm -hmm. But for my homeopathy and health area that I do a lot of study, I often buy books for the purpose of consulting. And I might like read them cover to cover. Even then, it's more of like a, I need an overview so that when I have a problem, I know where to look. Yeah. So I'm not taking detailed notes and spending years reading this book. I'm just kind of consulting it, probably doing one of the earlier stages of Adler's How to Read a Book, you know, right, right. the way that he tells you to do it. Um. But, you know, so I mean, so I do have books that I've read in depth in a formative way, but 
a lot of the books on my shelf were not read that way. They were read so that I would have them when I had some problem or issue come up that I needed to, I needed information. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you're not in a state of pure receptivity when you read this way. That was interesting to me. Yeah. And it makes sense because you've got your own agenda. Yeah. He has his own idea, his plan. The work consulted becomes his servant. And he's not saying that's bad. He's just saying this is reading yeah. for a different purpose. Right. I think a good distinction for us to make is if you're doing one thing, you're not doing the other by definition. Right. Um, now, I do think sometimes we open a book and like I had this happen with a parenting book that I bought. I opened it in order to read it formatively. And I did not like it. <laughs> I do not like it, Sam. I am. And so I felt like I still needed to know what it said for just some personal reasons. And so then I proceeded to flip through it and read it very quickly in, a, in an informational sort of way. Yeah. Just so I would know. But it became not form. I mean, so I transitioned <laughs> from one to the other because of the content and the and the writing style and, you know, that kind of thing. I'm thinking specifically like. David Hicks, I've read Norms of Nobility, I think seven times now, and it's so formative. And I had someone tell me, oh, yeah, I've read that. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know. I was like one of those Boromir memes. I was like, one does not <laughs> really read David Hicks. But as I'm thinking about it now, what this person meant was she read it informationally. Mm -hmm. And that's all she meant. So she did read it. She just didn't read it the way that I read it. I mean, like it wasn't a formative book in her life. Right. And I can accept that with tears. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyway, I think it's good for us to realize that if I'm talking to someone about their life changing book and I read it once and kind of knew what it meant. <laughs> and this person's life was changed that those were two different ways of reading the book. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean we can't discuss the book. It's just, I probably need to like make that distinction in my mind. Yeah. I think that's good. And I found this too, like, well, when I was, because I was working on the talk and I think you can go back and forth, you know, like I did with the Aristotle. So now that talk is over and done but I still have this desire to read the book. And so I am, Yeah, you know, so I, it's not like you decide a book can only ever happen in one category, Yeah, but each sitting sure. with it is going to be one of these different kinds. You can't be both at the same time. Yeah, I think so. Anything else about this type of reading before we move on to the next one? I don't think so. Okay. Stimulating reading was super interesting to me. I had never considered this as a category. So one, I think this is where self-help books come in, actually. Mm. One reads to acquire a habit of work and the love of what is good. So it's funny. I think I thought of that as being formative reading, but he, it's just on a different level. It's um, if I think if formative reading is forming your soul, this is more forming your habits. Interesting. So it's like the formation is on more of a physical level. And I think books probably can do both. Well, so this would be like the secondary reading. So say with educational philosophy, it seems like this is where books like the liberal arts tradition and, mm. you know, some of those other books where I'm not going to say, well, these were, you know, 
soul forming books, but I also wouldn't want to do without them either. You know, they were helpful and I wasn't using them, but you need if, especially if a topic is going to be your topic, then you need to keep up your reading in that area. Yeah. Like your your thought is going to be stimulated by having it approached in different perspectives. And I thought it was interesting because he talks a little bit about burnout in this regard too. Um, He talks about people who have been maybe overdone by their own study and they have these, he calls it flagging spirits and they get a fresh start through, and he names different things like a prayer from Thomas Aquinas or imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis or whatever. So he, he has this sense that when he's talking about stimulating, that it raises your spirits. If you're kind mm. of like depressed and blah, this is the book. You might not pick it up for this deep note taking, but it just kind of gets you out of your funk. Oh, yeah. I actually had trouble thinking of a book that does that. I think it's because my favorite formative books tend to do that to me. And so I tend to grab one of those when I need that kind of a thing. I know I have a friend who stepping heavenward is that for her mm, when she's mm-hmm. feeling really super just bleh, that she starts reading that book and she reads it again until she feels better. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have books like this? Do you have a book that get you out of your funk, get you inspired, helps you love what you should love? I can't think of one where it's like, I go to this one book every time sort yeah. of thing. But definitely, I do turn to books at okay. those times. And it's been different things at different times. One has been I'm trying to remember her name and how to say the word. <laughs> Is it Asadia? Acadia? Asedia? Aseda? Oh, I think I say Asedia, but I don't know that I'm right. Is it the Ka- Kathleen Norris? Yes, that's her name. I was just looking it up. Okay. So I've read her I think twice and it's just the kind of feeling that that sympathy and she's explaining her coming out of that kind of a Hmm. state and when I was in kind of a like re just realizing oh that's the kind of funk I'm in oh okay and then it could even just recognizing it help me get out of it yeah and in a similar way some of the productivity books have been like that I could see that yeah, just get up and get moving. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because that is usually what helps. Yeah. Well, you know what? Some of my health books, I think, actually serve this purpose. And I never thought about it before. But I'll buy them when I've reached the point where I no longer want to cook food for my family. Mm-hmm. And then reading about the importance of nutrition and knowing my children's health concerns. Because like we have a gluten-free daughter. We have a sugar-free son. We have, I mean, we have these just issues in our life is reminding me, oh, this is why they're on special diets and this is why it's important that you cook for them because (laughs) because this actually matters. Um, And so I realize it has that effect on me. You know, for mothering though, because sometimes I'll get in a mothering funk where I just rather not be one. (laughs) 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 Um, For like a day or two. I read Alcott. I mean, I'll read her out loud to my kids. Like I don't just do it by myself, but I'll just make that my next read aloud is one of her books, which is funny because the author of this book, Sertelange, obviously does not value novel reading 
<laughs> he makes snide comments about novels all along the way. And it's so funny to me because I find that that usually a novel is a little bit more, if it's the right kind, is a lot more of a stimulating book than even nonfiction can be. So anyway, for me, if I read Louisa May Alcott out loud to my kids, and she always has perfect mothers in her books, <laughs> then I decide that, you know, if they can be perfect, I should at least try. <laughs> <laughs> You know, another one for me at one point was uh, Pleasures of Reading in an Age of Distraction. I've never read that. Oh, that was a, that was just a good book. You know, and oh, not okay. and I think it's that kind of thing where it's not formative and it's not I wasn't looking to get anything out of it for a reason. But mm-hmm. it was just rekindling the joy yeah. kind of book. I love that his purpose for this kind of reading is action and habit based. So it's it's supposed to help you move back to the right direction that you're, you know, like yeah. you've kind of sat down and you're like I'm not moving anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so then this book it gets you back up and gets you moving in the right way and he also acknowledges that an influence can wear out in the long run and I appreciated that too because there have been books where I was like, oh, I just need to read that book again. And then eventually that doesn't work anymore. Yeah. You're yeah. kind of numb to that book's influence after a while. And he admits that that happens. So I, that was nice because I was afraid he was going to condemn me as like heartless. <laughs> like, unteachable. oh, something's wrong with me. Yes. No, it's like, okay, exactly. this is normal. Whew. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Whew, barely made it through. Here, um, each one should watch himself and note what helps him. So this is very personal. Keep at hand together his remedies for the sicknesses of the soul and not hesitate to go back and back to the same cordial or to the same antidote until these have utterly lost their efficacy. Mm-hmm. He got my seal of approval. Okay. So one. what about recreative reading? Oh, um, that's how you say that word. <laughs> well, I'm just making it up. But um, that's better than what I did. <laughs> uh, reading for relaxation. Some are not recreative enough and others are too much so. So I did think of novels with that because I just get to, I mean, probably not reading aloud Alcott, that sort of thing. But if I pick up a novel, like, oh, I need a break. I'm going to pick up a novel. Suddenly I haven't just taken a mental break. I've taken a break from my life. <laughs> I'm like, yes. you know, you kind of Get up from the couch with that fuzzy feeling of, wait a sec, where do I live? Who who are you again? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yes. And why are you demanding food from me? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's not that's too too recreative. <laughs> yeah. I totally agree with you. In fact, I think that's why I like to read aloud is because something about that pacing and the, I, I, I would never read aloud as long of a period of time as I would read like to myself. Right, right. <laughs> but it helps me not go into that fiction trance because I do the same thing. Like I pretty much don't read much fiction at all during the school year because I neglect my duties. It's terrible. It doesn't I mean, I don't like novels. It means I like them too much. <laughs> yeah, right. So it says read something that you like that does not excite you too much. Well. I'm kind of excitable, so that was discouraging. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I can do that. (laughs) Um, 
I liked the last sentence in the section, helping you to develop your personality, to adorn your mind, to be a man. <laughs> yeah, that was a great sentence. I don't think I'll ever accomplish that last one, but we'll see. <laughs> we know what he means. You know, there is a novel that I'm working on, Rector of Justin. Oh, right. David Hicks mentions that in Norms of Nobility. Yeah, it is more... I don't know. It's more literature than novel, I guess. Okay. And I'm still kind of unclear on why there's a distinction there. It just has a different feel, kind of like how, I mean, it's not the caliber of a really good Russian or French novel, but it just has, I don't know. Anyway, I am able to put that down. And I don't mean that in a bad way, like it's not a page turner or something. It's just, it moves at a slower pace and it gives you something to think about where you kind of want to put it down because you kind of need to think about this a little bit before you pick it back up. So it's the first novel in a long time I've been able to read slowly and during the school year. Hmm. Interesting. So I don't, I don't know why that is. I I mean, I am being really, really careful. So I'm not picking it up as often as maybe I even should just because I wanted to read it. And at the same time, I didn't want to accidentally be a bad mom. Right. <laughs> so, you know, like trying to balance that. But um, I, for some reason, feel like I'm still able to follow it. And I think it helps the books a little bit broken up different perspectives um, of different characters or something. I don't know. Anyway, it's hard <laughs> to describe without giving spoilers that I don't want to give. But I have found that I've been able to read that slowly through the school year so far. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I might I might put that on my list then. So with the mother culture habit tracker that I've been using, I crossed out N for novel. (laughs) So I have S for (laughs) stiff, M for moderate, and E for easy. And I think the the E for easy is kind of this, his third reading there, you know, where it's just, it's light reading. You know, it's, it's interesting, it's distracting, but interesting and helpful, but not deep. You know, I love what he said here about this kind of reading, because I think I think when we think of reading for relaxation, we often think of reading for distraction. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say there's never a reason for that. Years ago, when my husband was in the hospital, I think it was actually super handy for my sanity to read for distraction sure. and sure. to lose myself in a novel for an hour just because my stress kind of melted away. Mm-hmm. And when I came back to the surface, I could just better handle it all. So I I think there is a place for that kind of a thing, as long as it's not, you know, there's that. And then there's the kinds of books that are actually detrimental to your character. (laughs) So as long as it was just more frivolous or whatever, but where he says that joy is what really gives us rest. So if the goal here is rest, then we need to seek books that bring about joy. And I, yeah, I loved that too, as that being kind of like a criteria in the back of my mind when I'm choosing a book in this category. So I was helpful because I'd never thought in that, in that way before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that could be fiction or nonfiction, or he recommends here travel too, which I'd never really, I mean, I guess, um, well, Halliburton would definitely be in that yeah. category. Oh, we've read, AO does a number of travel books. Oh, yeah. And I, oh, one of my favorites was, um, you would like it. It's How the Heather Looks by Joan Bodger. 
And it's a little bit idealistic, but it's basically like a tour of the English countryside through your favorite types of books. Beatrix Potter and Kenneth Graham and Puck of Pook's Hill by Kipling. And it's, I mean, it's totally a fun book. It's a husband and wife traveling with their kids. So. Oh, cool. That sounds good. You'd like it. And it totally is. It's like, you can put it down because it's not a novel, but it is. If you've read even half of the books in the book, it's a super big joy to read it. So anyway. I think we should use the Scalay Everyday hashtag and have everyone share something that they've read for these different categories. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So you guys do that and then we can um, repost. Yeah. That would be really fun. I would love to see that what people are reading in these categories. Try if you if you understand at all what we're talking about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Try to explain why it fits into the category. I mean, I just I like to hear people how people are thinking about it. So mm-hmm. anyway, all book right. talk always fun. It is always fun. Well, thanks, Misty. This was really fun. Yeah. Okay, talk. we'll do it again. Well, Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds good. <laughs> That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of the sisterhood of the podcast. As always, we appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast and share episodes with your friends. Want to help support the podcast? Becoming a paid sistership member is the best way to do this and comes with a variety of benefits, including the Christmas gift featuring Robbie Jane, which is coming up soon. Now that is for premiere level. So go to scalaysisters.com slash sistership and click on premiere to sign up. Don't forget to download today's free Scolay sheet from our show notes at scalaysisters.com slash SS63. Scolay sheets help you put the ideas found in the episodes into action right away. Next episode is our annual Christmas episode. This year, Pam, Misty, Abby, and I used Joseph Pieper's book, In Tune with the World, to discuss all things festivity. Until then, we want to remind you once again that homeschooling is a marathon you needn't run alone, so open up your eyes and look around you. Find your sisters. Let's start off with our Scalay art. Oh, I did it again. (laughs) yeah i've got kids knocking on the door now okay (laughs) with that said that was a good way to wrap it up so um anyway